Well, welcome to Sunday Coffee. Mississippi State and Vanderbilt have split the first two in Nashville this weekend. Bulldogs came back and won last night 7-4 to four after dropping a 6-2 to two decision on Friday. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield, we're live at the Southeastern Sports Group Studios in downtown Starkville. It's an early Sunday morning. Charlie, you had to get here a little early today. I've got 10-year-old baseball later today. Had it all day yesterday. So I'm kind of emotionally charged right now. Yeah, you're in a good mood, I'm guessing. Yes, and I think I went on a twitting barrage, Twitter barrage, twitting barrage, Twitter barrage. Went on that barrage last night, sitting on my couch. I was dead tired, and I had all these things that I wanted to say, and I fell asleep on the couch, which I never do, and I forgot what I was going to talk about. No, I'm joking. I know exactly what I was going to talk about. Looking at the before we get into the series, before we get into the baseball. Here's something that has really just kind of latched onto me, and I was hoping we would win last night for obvious reasons to win and even up the series. But secondary is I didn't want to come across as a jaded fan who had gotten beat. And that's not the case in this situation. We play Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is a good baseball program. What Tim Corbin has done, he got there in 2003 – If you remember, Tim Corbin was an assistant coach under Jack Leggett at Clemson. And so in 2000, when we went to Clemson to play in the Super Regional, Tim Corbin was an assistant coach. He took that job in 2003 at Vanderbilt. And I remember that first year he was a head coach, he brought Mr. Charlie Hawkins, a real estate developer in Nashville, to Duty Noble Field. And Mr. Hawkins sat in the press box with us all weekend long. Just a fantastic man good man and he ended up giving them a few million dollars to build what is essentially that ballpark in Nashville and so his first year he was like I'm going to try to build a baseball program he figured out the scholarship situation and to be honest with you I hold no ill will toward Vanderbilt if if you're going to talk about the scholarship issue and yes what do they have they have essentially 30 full rides there they figured it out and until there's legislation to say you can't do that They're just going to keep on doing it, which I would too if we had that loophole. But I say that to say this. After watching two games and after going up there numerous times, 2013 we got swept. We went up there in 2018. We played well, won two out of three, and that was the Super Regional. We go up there and we split the games this weekend. Here's the thing that just bothers me, and I hate to start off in a negative way, and I don't mean this in a negative way. I really mean this in a constructive way. Sometimes Craig, uh, Greg Sankey will call SEC ADs and maybe presidents and try to be, hey, we're, we're better than this. We need to do something a little bit better. And I was around 10-year-olds all day yesterday, and so you got to be you know, kind of positive at the end. So I mean this in a positive way. I want to start by saying about the Whistler. All right, evidently everybody at Vanderbilt tweets the guy's a great guy. He may be a great guy. He may be the nicest guy on the planet. But at the end of the day, your head coach allows it. Your administration allows it. And I understand what it's all about. I understand it's get everybody riled up. And I'm not going to sit here and just criticize the guy whatsoever. But at the end of the day, you're better than that. You're better than every time a TV comes on and watches Vanderbilt play baseball that instead of talking about how good Kumar Rocker is, half the people are talking about, man, I've got to turn this off because I can't watch this because you've got one fan who thinks it's about him instead of about the program. But at the end of the day, it must be about the program because they've allowed it for so long. And then you've got football players dancing on top of the dugout. 
you got them up there yelling and screaming and dancing, and that's that's perfectly fine. It's good to have fun. You want to have fun at the ballpark, but it's different in that situation where it's intimate, and you got guys standing on the dugout yelling and screaming at players. Okay, let's go to the artificial turf on the mound. Let's go to Vandy Boys. This is not a this is not a show on Broadway. Let's talk about the black uniforms of the pinstripes. Those are just awful. All I'm saying is this. Vanderbilt, you're in the best league in the country. You've won two national championships, which I envy. You are better than what you portray on TV and on the field every single night you play. Am I wrong on saying that, Charlie? Well, I have a few thoughts here, and I'll, let me take them in order. Number one, the Whistler, it's, it's atrocious. And I don't care if the guy feeds the hungry, tends to the meek. I don't care if he walks old ladies across the street and delivers secret Santa gifts in July. He's annoying. And it's not about what he does away from that park. Don't know, don't care. But what I know is he ruins an atmosphere. He shows up in Hoover. He takes that shtick on the road. You have to deal with that. It's annoying. And trying to watch that game last night, all I could hear was this stupid whistling in the background. But I'm going to get past that. And what I'm going to say to you is, number one, I'm going to talk about this dugout, the football player thing. Number one, if you're a big-time program who's won national championships, do you need to look like you just went and handed out free hot dogs and drug some people to the park and said dance around and look silly? And by the way, if there is an athletic team in this United States of America with less right to heckle anyone <laughs> – in any sport, I had at it, any time. I had it text out last night. The tweet, I had it. I had it typed out. I had it ready to roll, but I didn't pull the trigger. I mean, I'll listen to a lot, but the idea that Mississippi State's baseball team is being heckled by Vandy's football team—that—that's that—that that just I can't even compute that. Well, and and I go back to several different points, and and I look at evidently the administration is fine with it. Evidently, the administration is pushing it. And so you, you talk about Tim Corbin. He's too good of a coach to do what he does. This guy makes like over $2.3 million a year to coach baseball at Vanderbilt. And you've got an artificial turf mound. You've, I mean, you've got a ballpark. He can't handle – I mean, he can't help the ballpark. They're landlocked on that campus. I'm not taking shots at a small ballpark. I'm not taking shots at not having a whole lot of foul territory. That's the hand that's dealt. That's what you got to play with it. But everything else from you know, putting a pitcher in your DH spot until the third inning and then I'm going to pinch hit and not naming your starting pitcher for Sundays and it's all about gamesmanship, you're better than that. You're well, and here's my thing. Let me go a step beyond that. Let's say they're not. Let's say that after this many years that's just who they are. Why do the cameras have to show it? I felt like I saw more shots of Vanderbilt football players dancing on top of a dugout than I saw of what was going on in a dugout. Okay, so let's let's address that point. That's their guys. That's their TV guys. Because where are the TV guys broadcasting the game from? They're broadcasting from their house. So who's manning the cameras? Probably who's directing the ball game? Vanderbilt people. And so it's beyond – it's not what – this isn't, hey, this is what others say about you. This is what they decide to say about themselves. So probably don't need to I don't want to harp on it. I don't, I don't want to. But I will just say this. If you're going to be a national championship program, act like one. Yes, absolutely. And so, anyway, long story short, that's my thought. All right, I've got a thought. Okay. 
last weekend I was driving home from the Sunday ball game, called a family member of mine, and was getting feedback on the broadcast. And the comment that I got was, how on earth are you and Bart defending the home plate umpire? That umpire was atrocious. The outside part of the plate wasn't consistent. And I argued for the umpire. And I might have been right. I might have been wrong. A lot of people listening will probably say that I was wrong. I thought they were pretty consistent in not giving balls off the plate. I say that not to argue that I was right or wrong about the umpiring, but to say that I am typically the guy who doesn't leave a basketball game. Look, you and I have broadcast women's basketball many, many years. If there is one thing I know, it is bad umpiring. We've it seen is enough, bad officiating. We've seen enough decanter to know what bad officiating is. I, I am an expert on very few things, but bad officiating is in my wheelhouse. Last night's home plate umpire was bad. And here's what bothers me about it. It's Clint Fagan. Look, the guy's been a major league umpire. But Dee Cantor was in the NBA. Yeah, lowest rated official in the history of the NBA. And Fagan can't be far behind. But one thing about Fagan, you go back to his career, 2013, he throws out Yadier Molina for running through the bag and throwing his helmet down. Becomes a huge deal. He has been a guy historically who wants people to see him, who wants people to recognize that he is in the game. Somebody tweeted me and said he's kind of the Teddy Valentine of umpiring, you know, TV Ted from men's basketball. So what I didn't like about the ball game last night was I felt like the zone was different for Lighter than it was for Bednar, and I thought it was different in and out. I thought it was different up and down. I've come to recognize that in pro sports, some guys are going to get the calls. There was a whole book written about how Michael Jordan got calls. We know, because we talk about like Glavin and Maddox and those guys, as the game went on, the strike zone just got wider and wider. And it got to the point that Greg Maddox wouldn't throw a strike. He was getting called strikes, but he wasn't throwing any. Jack Leiter is one of the best pitchers. He'll probably be the top draft pick. He's not that good that we're going to start changing the zone for him. And what I'd say is he's good enough that you don't have to. The other thing that bothered me about the zone last night, it was bad in, out, up, down, and it was inconsistent. And we did not get some big-time calls. What was the one? Look, I'm not endorsing what he did where Logan Tanner does the 360 span of, you know, you got to be kidding me. Well, and, and I go back to that point. Sometimes umpiring, and people who have never umpired behind the plate may not understand this, sometimes as an umpire it's easier to call for certain pitchers because of the flatness of the ball, the, the slider, whatever it is. But a lot of times that falls on the catcher. And a lot of times that falls on how the catcher receives the ball. Is he raising his head? Am I losing the ball late? But that's not the case with Logan Tanner. He's one of the best receivers in college baseball. It was not a catcher situation last night. He was calling balls two and three balls off the plate for lighter. And then Bednar is getting squeezed, and you've got a catcher up there who, who's trying to hit against, you know, when you've got to have a boat paddle to hit it. And now he's realizing, man, I'm getting squeezed here, and this is a tight, tight ball game. He's good enough. He doesn't need the help. No, he, he doesn't. And so let me – I want to make one more comment about the umpire before we move off that. We'll get to talking about more substantive issues. Last night was the most demonstrative catcher's interference call I've ever seen. Normally you see a catcher's interference. You point to the glove. You send the guy down to the first. Fagan came out from behind the plate pointing at people, 
gyrating. It, it was just, it all feeds into this idea that I just want to be seen. And that's what bothers me. And what bothers me worse is I know that that guy is actually an instructor in minor league baseball umpiring schools. So that's what we're teaching people. But, and, that, and that's why uh, 10 years from now we're going to be in robots. Kind of like Leslie Nielsen and the Naked Gun. Yeah, he's going to do a little right. dance. Hey, let's talk about something positive. Let's talk about good oh, baseball. I'm positive he's not a good umpire. Oh, and that, I'm in a good mood today. That's the thing is I don't mean to be negative. And we no, sp- I'm positive. <laughs> I'm positive. I'm positive he's no good. Let's look at Friday night and, and how that game started. We jumped out to the early lead. Roddy Jordan had a, a double, ends up scoring in the first inning. We had a one nothing lead. And then you look to the fourth, and Christian McLeod – just cruised the first time through the order. He had just strikeout after strikeout after strikeout, and then you get to the bottom of the fourth inning. I mean, McLeod has struck out seven batters going into the fourth, and then he gets to the fourth inning. He walks the leadoff guy, Keegan. He walks Balger on a 3-1 pitch, and so it's first and second, no outs. Rodriguez singles to left field. That scores a run, ties up the ball game. Then you've got to ground out to first base. Runners move around a little bit, but I look back, and you look at early in the year, Chris Lamonis really came out hard on Christian McLeod about trying to be too fine, about not attacking the zone. I think he, we saw a little bit of that in the Friday game when he really tried to work corners. He really tried to be a little bit too fine, and that got him in trouble in that fourth inning. And I think one of the things that we saw in that fourth inning is how quickly things can turn against you in college baseball. You go back to the Ole Miss weekend, Bart, how many times were we sitting there where there's two outs? We're, we're in an inning, there's two strikes on the hitter, there's two outs, there's nobody on base, nobody's touched a ball, and next thing you know, Ole Miss has put a few runs up. Trouble can come in a hurry in college baseball. And you hear people, well, you got to get him out, you got to get him out. Well, nobody even saw trouble coming to get somebody warm and ready to come in. And that's how it happens here, Bo. You go back-to-back walks is what really, to me, kind of define that inning to start it, the walk to Keegan and the walk to Bulger. And some people will say, why didn't you go get him earlier? And you bring up the point, well, you don't have anybody, even in that thought process, you don't have anybody getting hot in the bullpen. And then you get to that point when you face three or four batters, they've gotten the base hit, it's a 2-1 game. Then it's like, Charlie, it's fourth inning on Friday night. You've got to have a longer hook with your Friday guy. We don't have Brandon Smith this weekend. He didn't make the trip to Nashville. And so when you start talking about a weekend when you know you're going to use a lot of pitchers, but it's your Friday guy. He's your Friday. It's not Sunday. This is your Friday guy. You've got a lot of baseball to be played. You've got 23 more innings to play on that weekend at least. Going and getting McLeod, you just can't go get him after he gives up a couple of walks and a single. No, you can't. And, look, you go back – in the Saturday ball game, and I don't want to jump ahead, but if you're going to overreact to one of your best players getting in trouble now and then, we'd have pulled Landon Sims. The bottom line is, if McLeod is really a top-flight guy, if he is really a Friday SEC guy, you got to be able to pitch around some trouble. Look, I watched the Yankees yesterday. Garrett Cole doing great for three innings. Then he hits an inning where he walks a guy, gives up a little hit, you're not going to take out Garrett Cole. And I'm not comparing Christian McLeod by any stretch to one of the highest-paid players of baseball. But what I'm saying is you draw a parallel, and that is your guys have to be your guys. And your guys who are good have to be able to figure out some things, make adjustments, and get out of trouble now and then. Look, baseball is a game of trouble, and you're not going to get very far 
if you manage an entire season that the first time a guy hits some adversity, you're pulling him. Well, you just hit a point I was going to talk about later, but I'm going to go ahead and get it out of the way. After watching Landon Sims last night, I feel better about Landon Sims than I ever have as a pitcher at Mississippi State. Now, he's come into games, and he has thrown fire. That Texas outing, I mean, every other outing he's thrown, he's come in, and he has been dominant. But last night showed me something about Landon Sims. We talked to Kendall Graveman about this a month ago, about sometimes you just come in the game and you don't have your stuff. Sometimes you're going to get hit. Sometimes you got to figure out what it's like to be pitching on AstroTurf. Sometimes, you know, you just don't have – the good feel of the release point. And then you got to figure it out on the fly. you got to figure it out in front of a TV audience, in front of fans at the ballpark, in front of guys dancing on top of the dugout. You've got you've got to figure out your release point. And I thought Scott Foxhall going out to the mound, that was the first time Scott Foxhall was going out to talk to Landon Sims. And you kind of wonder what that conversation is like. Here's what I like about Landon Sims. One is he fixed the problem in mid-flight. And two, his body language. I love if, – if I've got a 10-year-old kid and I sat there last night with Sims, who was not named after Landon Sims because I didn't know who Landon Sims was. But I was sitting there with Sims last night, and I said, watch this guy pitch. And it's not about how he pitches. It's about his body language. It's about the way he treats his teammates. It's about always having confidence and positivity on the mound. That's a guy I'm proud that's on our team. And you go back, how many times have we seen this year – Landon Sims have something go wrong behind him, and he basically just turns around and says, we're fine. There, Look, we had the situation. Think about the things that nearly went wrong with Landon Sims in the ballgame early yesterday. Never mind the hits. He crossed up his catcher on a two-strike pitch with runners at second and third, and that wasn't the only time they got crossed up. And it looked like Logan Tanner wanted to come out, and Sims just kind of gave him the, the palm up. Look, we're good. Settle down. Everything's Sorry. fine. Yeah. <laughs> Now, boy, it goes back to what a great job Logan Tanner does behind the plate because he was looking one thing, got another, and that's really tough to adjust to. Got a slider when he's expecting fastball, which is not easy to do. Now, thank goodness it was right down the pipe. And so you got a good pitch, and you weren't jumping all over the place. But you had runners at second and third, and that's one of the things that was never even talked about. It was never even brought up last night about even the cross-up. But that's a swing and a miss on a third strike. If he drops that ball, if it goes behind him, you got to run scoring from third, and that runner's taken first because first base was unoccupied. So, I mean, just the, the ability to, to, to snag that on that two-strike pitch was big. And then, and I get we're jumping ahead, but Sims coming back and being so dominant in the eighth and the ninth after having that bad outing in the seventh, or I say bad, yeah, it was bad. It wasn't good. And I think he showed a lot. It is very, very difficult for a player in any sport to have things go wrong and then turn it around. I think it is especially difficult on the mound. Competence gets in the other team. You get rattled. He just didn't get rattled, and he fixed it. And that, to me, you start thinking about where are we going to be, you know, if you're in Omaha and Landon Sims comes in and some guy hits one out of the park. Because, look, you're going to – Landon Sims is human. He's not – He's not a, a superhuman guy, although he's super talented. Something's going to go wrong. You come in and some guy hits one out. He didn't like, uh-oh, we got to panic. He doesn't have it. This is a guy you can ride with. And we talked about this before, Charlie. He's a guy that comes in and pounds a strike zone. And when you have guys that throw strikes, when you have guys that pound a strike zone, 
you're going to have what you saw last night. You're going to see some hits. So sooner or later, people are going to square him up. The first pitch he threw was a base hit. Okay, let's look back. And, of course, you lose that Friday game 6-2. to Then last night, State comes back and wins 7-4. to Let's look at how we got started. You know, Rowdy Jordan, we've talked about it for the last couple of weeks, what he does at the top of the order. That leadoff home run against Leiter yesterday kind of set the table, allowed us to kind of settle in, relax a little bit. We got a couple of runs in the first inning. But we talk about Landon Sims, but Will Bednar. Will Bednar walked the first two guys in the first inning yesterday, and then he made some adjustments. Now, I think one of the big things is the first two guys he saw that he walked were left-handed hitters. He was missing arm side, and he was trying to run pitches away. Well, then all of a sudden he gets a right-handed batter, his third at bat, and then he can go fastball slider. And that kind of got him in the comfort zone, and he got going. I thought Bednar, for all intents and purposes yesterday, was really good. Went five innings, gave up one run, three hits, struck out 80, walked three, and two of those were the first two batters of the game. And through 96 pitches, I thought Will Bednar was really good yesterday. I thought one of the big moments, as you mentioned, was Bednar getting out of that first inning with a lot that wasn't going right early, and you still come back to the dugout with a lead. Lead off walk, stolen base, another walk, then you steal third, and the ability to get a strikeout, that's just such a big deal. He had two strikeouts with a, a flyout sandwiched in between. But, look, Bradfield, he, he's tough, man. He is a tough <laughs> guy to deal with at the top of that order. And when you put him on, you're basically giving them a run. Hey, when he was taking a lead the other night, they, they were showing him taking a lead and taking that first couple steps to second base. And he's a different style runner. But seeing a number 51 stealing bases – did it remind you of anybody? To me, t- let me tell you, it reminded me of seeing a fifty-one takeoff Willie McGee. Remember Willie McGee behind Vince Coleman? Oh yeah, the old Cardinal. Yeah, top two guys in the order. The yeah, fifty-one. So Bednar able to pitch well. Then we get to the fifth inning. We're up two to one. Before you go to the fifth, here's what I loved about Bednar. So we have that Rocky first. We don't do anything in the top of the second. He comes at back. Strikeout. 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 And I thought that kind of sent a message that it's fixed. You might have touched me for one in the first. We got this fixed. You can whistle all you want. It's not going to affect me. So then we go to the fifth inning. We're up two to one. We get two outs. Tanner Allen leads off of the walk. And then Logan Tanner just hits an absolute missile to left field. To me, Charlie, that was the big blow. That, That was the massive blow. And because you've got a guy who's pitching so well, everything had gone well for us on the mound, and then you take that lead out to three, that was big. And the thing about the home run is how it came because there's something about you get a leadoff walk and you feel some pressure to get that guy around the bases. But Cameron James strikes out on three pitches. Hancock strikes out. And now all of a sudden you've got two outs. Tanner Allen's still standing over there at first base, and you're thinking – this is about to get away from us. And then Logan Tanner just crushes that ball. Just killed it. He killed it. So you take a 4-1 lead, and then you go to the top of the seventh inning. Tanner Allen grounded out. We had a double, then a walk, and then Logan Tanner doubled down the left field line. Scotty DeBrule reaches on a fielder's choice. Skinner singles through the right side. Oh, and how big is that, that ball on the infield? where your second baseman double clutches on it and doesn't have a chance to make the play on Hancock coming home. You got the infield in. You got the ball where you wanted it. They just didn't make the play. So we take a 7-1 to one lead. 
Vandy comes back in the in the bottom of the seventh inning, and we talk about you know, Landon Sims coming in after Rodriguez was hit by a pitch. Nolan struck out. Hey, Preston Johnson, we hadn't talked about Preston Johnson. I thought Preston Johnson last night was good. I did, too. Now, I also thought that it was time for him. I thought he was I yeah, thought I thought he, he was, was gassed. at the end. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I was probably impacted by that because on Thomas, you know, he starts the seventh with a hit by pitch, gets a strikeout, but then on Thomas, he throws a strike, but then four straight balls. And now you got two guys on. It just felt like it was it was time for a change. Credit to him for the job he did, but I thought he was done. And then you talk about, you know, Landon Sims. There may have been a question mark at that time about whether you get a Landon Sims right here. I thought the way everything was moving in that game when you got base runners, even though it's a seven to one ball game, I wanted Sims in there. I, I wanted the safety blanket. You gotta win last night. You get you had that lead, that's the game you gotta win. And you know, perhaps I'm affected by too many other things that I see. I think back to the Ole Miss game last week. Ole Miss started getting in some trouble. We were coming back. They bring in Broadway to face Tanner Allen. Allen gets the big hit. But they waited until the exact highest leverage situation to bring Broadway in, not wanting to go to him too soon. What is everybody saying now? You shouldn't have tried to bridge it. You got you to gotta use him when it matters. You should have started the inning with him, all these things. Think back to the Ole Miss LSU game yesterday. What is it, 8-1, to 9-1 to one in nine that to ball one. game? And next thing you know – I just think trouble can come so fast on a game. And one of the things that you miss watching TV, and I think this is different, by the way. I, th- I think for whatever reason, when, you, when they have a game on the network, for me it's harder to capture what's going on in the stadium than it is on the SEC+. Plus. I don't know if it's a crowd mic issue. I'm not sure what it is. But think about what's going on there. Vanderbilt's getting momentum. they got a couple of guys on base. And all of a sudden, that game can change in a big old hurry. The other thing is this. Who knows what will happen today? We may be sitting here on Sunday saying, really wish we had Sims. We don't know how it's going to play out. But the thing that I have said is the biggest tragedy of all for us would be to come home from an SEC weekend never having used Landon Sims when it matters. Think about this. So today, let's say, I'm not wishing this. I don't want to speak it into existence. But let's say that Fristo goes out and gets touched for three in the first and we're down three to nothing. And then next thing you know, we're down five to nothing in the second. That means we're coming home from Nashville with Sims never having mattered to us if you don't use him last night. Yeah, I've got no problem whatsoever of using Landon Sims where we used him yesterday. At the end of the day, we went seven to four last night. Even up the series, a game of peace. You've gone on the road and have really done what you have to do. I mean, you've gone on the road and you've won a game. I'm not saying, hey, this is house money today. I mean, this is still a big game. If if you win today, if you win today, if you're Mississippi State and you start looking around the league, you start looking at the schedule that Arkansas has when they've got to play, you know, Tennessee when they've got to play Vanderbilt, and you start looking at the series. If we win today and we've got some guys coming up, some teams coming up in Texas A&M and Alabama, teams that you really should play well against. I know we got South Carolina on the road. You win today, then all of a sudden, with what you got at the top above you and who they've got to play, you may have a chance to win this thing. No, you absolutely might. Now, one thing that hurts is Arkansas and Vanderbilt don't play, which 
is another reason to be frustrated with. Or do they play Florida? Yeah, so Arkansas has LSU, Georgia, Tennessee, and then they end against Florida. Uh, okay, so it's not as bad as I thought. There's some losses possibly in there, though. But here's the other thing, and I, I hate saying this. In this year, what's our real goal right now? Our goal is to be a national seed, get to Omaha, right? Isn't that our most immediate goal beyond winning the SEC? It is, and I'm not going to go off on the NCAA right now. I'm still, you know, when you start talking about the 50% capacity, I'm hearing, and I don't, I don't know where I heard this, that they're looking at pod seating. So it's not one of those situations where we can just say, hey, we got 30,000 we can put in our ballpark and we can put 15 in there. I mean, I think they're going to use the model of you've got to have some separation with some seats. And so that has potential, man. That has oh. potential to be – that's – I'm, I'm not going there. I'm not going there this morning. Hey, we've won a game against Vanderbilt. we got a, another we game today. We started the show off. Started, started it negative. We went positive. Well, it was kind of constructive criticism at the start. That's exactly what we're trying to help Vanderbilt be a – better version of themselves yes absolutely we are their life coach we're the life coach of Vanderbilt and we're going to charge you a consulting fee of fifty thousand dollars an hour or just a scholarship for one of my kids that's what I want they got plenty to give around absolutely hey we're brought to you by Cannon Ford of Startwell Cannon Ford they've got spray and bed liners if you're in Startwell if your kids are in Startwell and you kind of wonder hey something doesn't sound right with my vehicle where do you take them certified mechanics at Cannon Ford they work on all makes and models and so if you need a battery, if, you, if your daughter is riding around and her battery's dead and, all of, hey, where'd I go, send them out to Cannon Ford. They've got all the great mechanics there. If I have a fender bender, take them to the body shop at Cannon Ford. It doesn't have to be a Ford or a Lincoln. But, of course, if you're in the market for a new or used car, they'll sell you a car. That's the thing that a car dealership will do. But also know that if you're looking for someone who's not going to cheat you and somebody that knows exactly what they are doing when fixing cars or putting in the bed liners or tricking out the trucks, they know what they're doing at Cannon Ford of Startville and Sunday Coffee brought to you by Cannon Ford. All right, Charlie, later today we got Jackson Fristo going. We have no idea who Vanderbilt's going to throw because they, you know, they like that competitive advantage. We're probably going to show up at the ballpark today and they're going to have three guys warming up in the bullpen and they're just going to pull one from the outfield. Anyway. All right, so right now as I look at it, look, Vanderbilt's thrown their best two arms. I said coming in to this weekend that this was our best chance to win a game, that if I were power ranking our ability to win games – I'm starting with Sunday as most likely and then working backwards. If you look at it, Vanderbilt is beatable on Sundays. In SEC play, they're 3-2 and two on Sunday. We are 3-2 and two on Sunday. They've allowed 24 runs on Sundays, and we've allowed 32. Now, that's impacted a lot by that 10-run game that we allowed over at Auburn when it wasn't even a contest. But these are two teams, I think, that have a chance to hit the baseball today and you've got a chance for Jackson Fristow to go out on the mound, have a big game. And, look, he needs a big game. He was good early last week, and then it kind of got away from him. And so it's going to be a question of can he do what we saw Landon Sims? Can he build on? I honestly believe that the experience last week for Fristow against Ole Miss, where he was good early, it was that situation we talked about, right? There's two outs, two strikes, and the next thing you know he's out of the ball game. I think he's going to learn from that, and I think we have a real chance to see a better version of him today. No doubt. 
and hey, Vanderbilt with Rocker and Leiter yesterday, and, and and what we were talking about the strike zone a while ago, that takes nothing away from Jack Leiter. He's the best pitcher in college baseball this year. Fantastic pitcher. I, I threw a tweet out there last night about Al Leiter, his dad, and Jay Powell pitching together for the Marlins in 1997, and Al Leiter actually started game seven that the Marlins ended up winning. Now, Jay Powell pitched the very end of that game, and Jay actually got the win in that World Series win in 1997. So those guys are friends. There's a, there's a lot of commonalities between these two programs. And, and hey, listen, Tim Corbin is a fantastic baseball coach. Vanderbilt is a great baseball program. They have made themselves into one of the nation's elite year in, year out. To me, they're just better than how they act. So, anyway, that's how I'm going to end it. Sorry, Charlie. Well, no, I just want to tag one thing on that is this, that I love Kyle Peterson, love Tom Hart, think they do a great job. But the thing that the tweet that I sent on Friday, many agreed with some is kind of that whole once we started losing, it became the sore loser tweet. But if you're going to tell the story of this remarkable event, well, wow, boy, I can't imagine how Vanderbilt ever got this good. Come on. Yeah, we're, finish the story. Let's give you a free Ivy League education, yeah, baby. Let's finish the story. <laughs> it helps. All right, so Mississippi State today. Here's my question for you, Bart, before we go. What's your pitching lineup today? What do you see? Fristo's going to get the start. Who, who you got on the back end of that? Well, here's the thing about Vanderbilt. They're, hitting, they're throwing a lot of right-handed hitters out there. So you ask yourself the question, where do you go next? I'm Houston going to Houston Harding. Harding. Man, I'm telling you. I love that changeup with Houston Harding against all those right-handed hitters. All right, so uh, interesting question, too, all right? Go back to the question we asked a minute ago about why do you use Landon Sims right there. If you expect you're going to be using him to close that game out and you think, you know what, we are absolutely going to get this win. We're getting out of here, period. I don't care if it's 10-1, to 1, we're using him. If that's your mindset coming in, you're better off for not throwing Harding yesterday. He was the other guy warming up. I wouldn't be surprised if you get about three, four innings out of him today. Yeah, wouldn't surprise me at all. And, and you still have plenty of guys on that back end. you got Stanette back there. Yep, you've got some right-handed guys that can come out there and throw well. we got plenty of pitching. We, we know that. So, I hope uh, hope we don't have to use everybody. I hope, we, I hope Fristo goes out there today, and I hope he goes five, six innings. He's got that potential. He's got the potential. And he's, you know. If I gave you four good ones right now, would you take it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take it. I take it right now. Yeah, you'd have to. Yeah. Hey, enjoyed it. Sunday coffee presented by Cannon Ford of Startville Bulldogs and Vanderbilt up in Nashville today. Game three of that three game series. Appreciate you guys listening. Hey, listen. Keep telling your friends about it. It's amazing how this thing is exponentially growing when you start looking at our numbers. The people that are listening to the podcast and the downloads and and everything. Just keep on telling your friends about it. We try to uh, we try to have fun with the Sunday show, and then during the midweek we talk about the out of left field. We have a couple of interviews. This past week we had two really good interviews, one with Ed Easley, who's back in the Memphis area. He was a Johnny Bench Award winner as a top catcher in college baseball in 2007, was on that College World Series team. Ed's now running the Easley Baseball Club up in the, the Memphis area, and he talks a little bit about travel ball and things of that nature. And then Chris Young, our old friend Chris Young, he's our, he's our pitching coach. He's, he's our guy. And as far as out of left field, he's, he's the, our go-to, and he's the bullpen coach of the Chicago Cubs. He had some really good insight. We just peppered him with some questions this past week about pitching 101. So uh, take a look back, and if you have not heard that episode, it was really – Really good. So, for Charlie Winfield. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
Oh, how do how, I can't believe we haven't talked about this? The number one power-rated team in college baseball. We're giving all this credit to Fairfield. Arkansas. We're giving credit to Vandy. Fairfield pulled off the impressive sweep of Manhattan this weekend, and so they are your number one power-rated team in college baseball. Man, when you take on Manhattan, that's high leverage when you get <laughs> I mean, off the bus. I mean, when you get off the bus facing that, and hey, I'm not. That, there hey, hadn't been a decent team in Manhattan since like '86. No. And they're not even Manhattan, right? The, the Mets, they're in Queens. Yeah, the Queens, yeah, the Mets are in Queens. Manhattan's never had a good baseball team. Yeah. Manhattan. Hey, enjoyed it. As always. Appreciate you guys listening to Out of Left Field. If those guys get a national seed. Yep. Your rant to start this show is going to pale in comparison. <laughs> Appreciate you guys listening to Sunday Coffee.